Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Extra Credits Podcast, where we search for meaning in your favorite movies and shows. I'm Trey. So I'm all alone today. Kelsey's not here right now. She's still preparing for her PhD applications. Fortunately, though, we do have a lot of special guests coming on the next few weeks until she's done, from directors to other podcast hosts. Today is one of those special guests, one of those special days. We have writer-director Lauren Hathaway. If you don't know Lauren, she's one of the most exciting young filmmakers working today, and she made The Novice last year, one of the best films of 2021. One of my favorite movies in recent memory, it is probably the best psychological thriller I've seen in a long time. It's streaming right now if you haven't seen it on Paramount+. Plus. And Showtime, you can also buy it on DVD if you'd like. I own it myself. I don't like plot spoilers, so I'm not going to tell anybody to go see this by giving you any plot. Just trust me. Um, if you do need some kind of recommendation to watch this and maybe some movie comps, I would say this movie has been referred to as like Whiplash and Black Swan. But to me, it reminds me more of a Fincher-esque film, like The Social Network, but more of a focus on the primary character and their conflict. In this case, a very internal conflict in The Novice. It really is a thematically genius movie. I really can't recommend it enough. So I'm about to speak to Lauren in depth about her film and spoilers in the movie. So please keep listening. If you've seen the film, you'll really enjoy this conversation. Now here's Lauren Hathaway. So our podcast is called The Extra Credits, where my co-host Kelsey and I try to find thematic meaning for all of our favorite films and our listeners' favorite films. Could be new releases or anything that's come out in the past. And we've been advocating for listeners to check out The Novice for about a year now. It's coming up on its year anniversary, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I think it came out December last year, December 21st. Okay. Yeah. So we're getting there. Um, It was one of my personal favorite movies of 2021 i think right next to pta's licorice pizza and worst person in the world it i think all three of those movies floored me for similar reasons um and i was really provoked in the best way possible so again thank you for coming on we really love the film thank you so lauren i'm really curious because the novice explores such internal anxieties i think that feel very authentic I'm interested to hear more about you and your youth before becoming a director, before getting into sound and everything. From what I understand, you grew up in Texas. Is that right? Yeah. You're trying to find out if I have an anxious upbringing. Um, Well, I think... I'm curious. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my my thing is I've always been an obsessive kind of neurotic person and competitive with myself more than anything. Um, I mean, I have... There's a a scene actually in The Novice where Alex is describing this, this... douchebag in high school who made fun of her and she like made it her mission to beat him well that's based on me um there's there was a in high school I was the super I mean I was like really good at school didn't know it um I always assumed my brother he was older than me he was like the top 10 percent you know I'm like okay that's where I'm gonna be and then when the first time we get our class rankings I was in the top 10 people and I was like oh, oh my god like this was me just just being me and I'm already and so then I was like wow and it's sort of just this dopamine hit you know but then I had a friend of mine who dated this guy uh and then they broke up and, and he always annoyed me and was irritating we were all in all the ap kind of classes together you know yeah. and so for whatever reason like i was like watching my class rank kind of like go up and doing all the math and calculating class gpa and like how much it weights and all of this nerdy shit and i realized like there was no way for me to become number one or number two like 
mathematically it was impossible but i was like i could beat this guy (laughs) this dude and so i my entire senior year i made it my mission to um try and beat him and we were in all the same classes and i think he knew what i was doing he'd be like lauren would you get on the physics test you know um and then we didn't find out until graduation day who actually won and they call out on the stage 198765 and then they called four was him. And then all my friends were looking at me and like, Lauren, you know, every, we all, they all knew what I was doing. And then I was three. Yeah. Then my friend who we broke up with was two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's always been my thing. Um, I've never been athletic or anything like that. I've always kind of been the mm-hmm. second to worst person on sports teams. Um, so the fact that I got obsessed with rowing in some ways is kind of funny, but um yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm a gritty person. Um, and I don't know where it comes <laughs> from. So, Were you involved in the arts at all as a, as a kid or a teenager? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I remember I've always been sort of fascinated with storytelling and with books, uh, like would trace literally words on pages before I could even read. Um, remember like trying to like type books and make little books when I was a kid and always wanted to be an author, you know, and that mm-hmm. was what I imagined. And I think my mom was really encouraging because I would like type out like chapters, which were like a paragraph and she would read them. And then she had this one lesson for me one time. And she's like, what are you going to do if you, if you get rejected once? And I'm like, try again. And she's like, okay, yeah. what again? And I'm like, try again. And she's like, what if you get rejected 50 times? And I was like, I'm going to find a new publisher, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I've always been writing. And then it, it was sort of just aimless, something that I did uh and to the point that i would i would live in my head and sort of this fantasy land and i remember one time hearing my my parents talking in the living room about me like she needs to get out and like go go out and do things because i was just in my room like writing writing like for hours and hours and hours and that was like my whole it was like tv in my brain you know which sounds so stupid to say out loud but um (laughs) yeah and then uh and then i discovered my parents um VHS camera in in a shift robe when I was probably like 10 11 started making little movies with my friends then one of my yeah. friends fucking dropped it on the cement <laughs> and it broke and then a couple years later um they sort of stopped caring about their high 8 camera started using that then I saw when I was 15 kill bill for the first time um oh, wow. and up to that moment my parents were pretty sheltering of me from like ours or when we watch movies as a family they'd make us leave for like sex scenes or things like that but my yeah. my dad had um uh they had rented that movie and I never I thought it sounded stupid because my older brother and his dorky friends were really excited by it and so I was like this movie sounds so dumb um but when it came out on DVD I saw that it was rated R and my parents were passed out like not passed out they were taking naps and so I was like Uh this is my chance and I watched it (laughs) it blew my fucking mind and then I knew that day that I wanted to be a director um and then saved up my money bought a bought a mini dv camera bought like editing software and that became kind of my thing in high school like making shitty horror films with my friends and learning how to edit um and then went to college to do film but i thought i'd never work in film so i double majored in business uh and i was embarrassed to tell people that i wanted to be a director or work in film in any Mm -hmm. capacity um and ironically i've never used my business degree um so yeah, you know. that's how that's how it goes. Before I get into college and the inspirations of uh, what's led you to where you are right now as um, one of the most exciting young filmmakers working, I, in my opinion, and 
what I noticed in some of the research for, for you is um, something very odd that popped up. I don't know if there's any validity to this, but there's something about you being an avid squirrel watcher somewhere online. Do, is there any, is there any truth to this? I, I, I don't know if that's a Texan thing. I've never been to Texas. Uh, it but... is, it's so funny you asked this because I just did a, a podcast for a, a SMU, some alumni thing, like some kid there. And he also asked about squirrel watching and you too are the only that's ones funny. who've ever asked about this. <laughs> and I, um, I mean, kind of true in the sense that uh, in college, I've always been sort of contrarian to doing stupid shit like the trust falls and things like that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and icebreakers. I'm like, fucking shoot me. Um, and so <laughs> uh, freshman year of college, they made us take this stupid wellness class that all freshmen had to take. And one of the assignments was to do something out of the ordinary that you don't normally do. Like, oh, my God, fucking like series like this kind of shit. Yeah. Right. So I was like, fuck this um, assignment. And I was always, I was fascinated with all the squirrels on campus at SMU because it's like a sort of um, storybook campus shut off from the rest of Dallas. It's very idyllic and there's squirrels fucking everywhere. So I was <laughs> like, I'm going to keep a squirrel census for my assignment. And I started every time I walked around campus, I would count how many squirrels I saw where I saw them. And I would keep an Excel spreadsheet. And I wrote my essay about um, squirrel watching. It was just a, like a troll. Um, and then when we yeah. had to fill out the stupid athlete bios for rowing, I'm like, who gives a shit about this? Who is ever going to read this? But apparently two people uh, 12 years later are going to read it. Um, but yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I put in the, this dumb shit, uh, the squirrel watching and possum trot high school, which is actually true. My town used to be called possum trot, but it, the name changed. Um, but I referred mm -hmm. to it as possum trot and actually have a possum tattooed on my arm. But um, oh, wow. so, yeah, this is just me being a little shit and uh, trolling yeah. things I think are stupid. Um, so. And also just trying to separate yourself, which I think is clear in your work, too, which you do a great job of. Is there... Um, through your time in college and through your time after college, was there any, where did you find yourself uh, working? Because I knew you were working in sound a lot, but did you find yourself kind of obsessing over uh, filmmaking during that time or was it strictly sound or were you writing a lot before you started directing The Novice? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never stopped writing. Uh, I've always thought that I would be sort of a, a novelist and I have literally novels in drawers or things that I was writing as novels that I've now sort of turning into other things. Um, but yeah, I went to college because I wanted to be a director. And then when I showed up, um, I I mean, I'm like this redneck kid going to this this rich kid school, you know, so there's a lot of dudes and a lot of rich kids and everyone seems super confident and super like, you know, had all the fancy software and like the Mac computers and all this. And I was like, fuck, I can't be a director. Like these kids are directors. Um, and so I quickly, it's just like, you know, imposter syndrome. And, but I also loved editing, which I think, you know, the cliche, you write a film three times when you write, when you direct and when you edit and had fallen in love with editing, just kind of in high school and this idea of you know, crafting stories and that. So went into post-production, which is this thing that you can do, um, you know, in a room with people not usually breathing over your shoulder. And then mm -hmm. through that discovered sound. But um, yeah, I mean, I had an internship basically every semester in the summer throughout college, various ones. Um, but the one that was probably the most kind of influential in, in hindsight, especially too, I had a, an editing internship at a reality TV house. Uh, which was super cool. And they were like trying to hire me. I thought they were joking, but maybe they actually weren't. They were like trying to hire me when I was in college. Like, oh, you don't need to go to college, do you? 
And I was like, ha ha ha. And then, <laughs> you know, go, go to school. But then when it came time to graduate, um, I actually had an audio internship at this other place and I was trying to do audio right out of school. Um, and the assistant there was pregnant and leaving. And so there was this void in her role. And I was like really hoping to like be hired to be at least temporary, the, the new audio assistant at this like commercial house uh, and really gunning for it. And it just didn't happen. But I used that to um, then the internship that I had, the editing one, they came back because they were trying to hire a new video editor. Uh, and mm-hmm. so like played it off like this other place might hire me, you know, <laughs> it was total bullshit. They didn't want me, yeah. but I was like, I don't know. I might. Mm. Um, and that worked to drum up like, you know, competition. And so got a job in reality TV uh, out of school and loved editing. Um, and I think it was a good experience for one, you know, working with a producer and I moved up pretty quickly and I was being, being given my own episodes to be the head editor on. And it was like, HGTV reality shows, you know, so nothing super highbrow, but as a 22 year old to be editing on a TV show that is on television and your name is on the screen and all your family in Texas can be like, wow, um, <laughs> it was a big deal. And I think a big confidence booster, but the thing that also was really sort of important, uh, was that I didn't even realize at the time, but I was getting my union hours, um, cause editing and sound are in the same union. And uh, I didn't know anything about unions. And now every time I talk to SMU students, I'm like, learn what your fucking union is. Learn what you need. <laughs> yeah. um, it just sort of worked out. And if I would have gotten that job at the other audio house, I would have never gotten these hours. Who knows what my life would have been. Um, and sort of the confidence in moving up so quickly and kind of realizing like I had hit as most as I could probably do in Dallas. I mean, there's like a little bit of indie film stuff happening, but not really. Um, and so, you know, when I started moonlighting to move out to LA, uh, you, everyone you talk to, I talk to a lot of people, they're all, they're down to talk to you, but when it comes time to actually like help you, the thing that you always hear is like, call me when you get out here and in the union kid, which is like a, like a nice way to say, fuck you, like fuck off. Um, because most people don't move out, don't actually move out to LA. And then when they do, it takes them years to get into the union, but not me. Um, Cause I was able to literally move to LA and literally the first full day in LA, I went to the union office and got in the union and in the parking lot, called up one of these people that I had been sort of uh, courting for like six months, moonlighting long distance. And I was like, I'm in LA and I'm in the union. Can I have that interview? Uh, and then she, another line, I could tell, I think was like, like a little shocked that I had done it actually. Um, but to her credit, she got me in the door and I got a, uh, an interview and sort of kind of started as, um, this unpaid intern and slowly worked my way up to, you know, where I got to. So I don't know what your actual question was, but my answer. Well, I mean, it's incredible to hear a journey like that just because and I know you're probably not going to take compliments but just hearing a self-starter kind of journey like that is you know I'm sure for a lot of listeners that is something that's going to really motivate a lot of people so it is nice to hear um let's go to the novice I think because I don't want to stick too much on your sound you spent a lot of your time talking about this movie with a lot of your sound career and I don't want to have your have to repeat yourself for the rest of your life about sound (laughs) and your career in sound um so we'll get into spoilers, so no worries there. But the two movies that come to mind when I'm watching The Novice are The Social Network and Whiplash. And I know a lot of people have brought up Whiplash to you, um, especially because you've worked with Chazelle, but especially The Social Network for me because some of the way that those movies deconstruct like the obsessive 
manic trope a little bit. And I think your film kind of separates itself in an interesting way because you sort of remove the big bad who traditionally I think inspires the, you know, the titular character, the main character to go on their journey. And in the social network, you have like the Winklevoss twins, which this movie, you know, there's no, there's no twins in it. Uh, uh, but though that would be interesting because the, the rowing, um, and there's no Terrence Fletcher like figure from whiplash. So why did you choose to focus on writing Alex as her own worst enemy? What was the, was there like a genesis for that idea of her being, you know, her reflection basically being what she needs to stop? I mean, it's me. You're talking to the genesis. Um, <laughs> I mean, everything I just said, it's this idea that yeah. um, I've always been very driven and I latch onto what I want very specifically and things that seem ridiculous. And then I end up chasing, I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could go on. There's multiple instances throughout my career uh, and in my personal life. Of things and I think um, I, I've always loved the obsessed artist trope films um, but what I've never really related to is like what you're saying there's always this external force right and like that is not me I've never even when I was a rower I would explicitly tell because when you do your 2k erg test whoever finishes first they'll come and like yell and like come on you know at the end and I'm always like do not fucking come near me the last hundred meters <laughs> sure maybe you can yell at me but don't it's not going to help me it's going to piss me off it's not going to do anything I've never been motivated by you know going to the exercise class or, or needing a friend to work out with or needing someone to study with like I am not externally motivated I mean sure there's some things but like if it is not happening inside me, it is not fucking happening. Um, and so mm -hmm. I wanted to do a version of the obsessed artist trope film where there isn't the the villain, right? There isn't that external force. There's not these specific driving factors. Um, Alex is the hero and the villain. She is Fletcher and Andrew rolled into one character um, and really explore that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of character. And it makes it a challenge for film because part of the reason the external trope exists in film is because it is visual and sonic and you need like those kind of stakes and things to drive things forward uh you mm -hmm. know it's not a novel you can't get inside your character's head um which is what's really influenced i think a lot of the stylistic choices because it's like how do you make the audience most of whom who haven't felt this level of obsession i hope or don't know anything about rowing how do you make them feel what alex is feeling um and understand that right. and that anxiety and all of that um and so that was the challenge but it's it's totally born of, of me kind of wanting to see what it, what happens when you explore a character who's driven totally internally to the point of you know some people around her are just looking like what like relax what is what are you doing you know um mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i I want to explore a little bit that inception of the uh, the compulsion and the obsession that Alex is going through in this movie. I'm assuming, like how you're saying, you relate to this. Like, uh, but the movie has me each time I watch it, it has me thinking about my own life, which is probably a goal of you of yours for the audience to do that. I know I myself like I get obsessive over random things, and I I do deal with that kind of like internal battle rather than uh, being motivated from external forces often for things that don't come natural to me, I'll find myself kind of trying to be better at something. But I think that's why Novice, Whiplash, The Social Network, Moneyball, Black Swan, there's so many movies where there are great self-destructive self journeys, basically. And each character, there's a focus on wanting to be great at something without like a purpose in mind sometimes. And that can be like sometimes a very shallow pursuit to, to try to fight for something without a purpose. And people figuring out their shit is weirdly cinematic. And I think your movie obviously captures that. And I'm interested in what 
you think Alex is struggling with internally, I think, because she's constantly challenging herself. And I have my own understanding, I think, of the character that I've kind of have my own clouded bias around that I projected onto the screen. But I'm curious, did you write a backstory for her deeper than what's on screen? Like, have you unpacked? And I know you kind of wrote the character as a sort of proxy for yourself, from what I understand. But have you unpacked what led her as a character, at least to her obsession, like academics or rowing? Um, I mean, the thing that I, I view it as is I don't. And this also is challenging this idea of what we're used to in film, which I think is in film and storytelling is things are boiled down to there's one moment or one thing that happened to make the person this way or her mom rode or, you know, someone told her she couldn't do it. But I think in the reality in life is that the way that I am now, the way that you are, we are us because of a thousand little things that have happened along mm -hmm. the way that sort of just culminate and snowball. So I don't think like I couldn't pinpoint there's not some great trauma in Alex's youth that has created her into this hero villain kind of person. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a snowball effect. And I think, uh, you know, the, the question always comes sort of why what's driving Alex doll? What is she, why is she doing this? Um, and if you want to like sort of boil down to the atom, it's just it's, it's simple. It's just like these little little moments that you can think about. Like I mentioned uh, earlier, that the story of her sort of competing against this guy in high school, it's like when you get a taste of something and you feel that little dopamine hit of like, oh, I, I actually did this thing a little bit. You just feed it and you want more and more and more. You want a bigger hit. It becomes like an addiction. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, this film is my existentialist anthem and very crudely put nihilism is this idea life has no meaning existentialism is you have to give life meaning to yourself right and so what the fuck are any of us doing right like okay you want you want kids and into what okay you're gonna die they're gonna die what's the fucking point you want a great career what's the fucking point like there is no like all of this is a big game it's all stupid um life yeah. becomes meaning when you decide something when you have a purpose and a drive and whatever and i think for alex where she is in the, in the course of the story um the thing that is driving her is this sort of achievement this, this checkbox idea um and you see there's rowing is the main one but you get hints of that she had one in high school which was the academics and she sort of cracked how to do that and crack the patterns and that's also sort of pulled from kind of my own, like I would, I would get really obsessive over taking um, SAT practice test. This is really mm -hmm. sort of nerdy. Um, every night before bed, I would take like one or two practice tests and review them over and over compulsively and, and find out patterns of my mistakes uh, to the point I could never crack the reading section very well because like there yeah. wasn't a clear pattern, but math, I cracked it. And I got an 800 on my math SAT, not because I was, um, super math nerd but because i figured out the patterns of like my mistakes right and that mm -hmm. kind of shit for alex of like she's figured out the the her academics she figured that out and checked and you know she gets to college a little bit more um difficult and now rowing is this new thing that she's latching onto to try and figure out and crack and analyze which i've also done which i did with rowing which i've done i just had a, a pitch right before this that I suck at pitching. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but the thing, the thing that I sort of joke with my friends and also not joke is that uh, I'm not really great at anything, but I'm willing to suffer more than most people <laughs> to sort of humiliate myself and fail and crawl up in fetal position and then just get back uh, up there. And, and I know this mm -hmm. quote, I've read it because I obsessively also read everything written about the novice or I was for a while uh there's this quote the novice um 
the master has failed more times than the novice has tried. Uh, that it, it always hmm. pops up on fucking Twitter when I see what people are, are saying about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know where I was going with this other than I think Alex is just this, this, she's a, I described her to Isabel early on and she's a conquistador, right? Like that is her goal yeah. to conquer. Um, yeah. and this is her, this is the thing she's conquering now. And Isabel and I joked, you know, there could be a sequel. Like Alex gets an internship, yes. Alex learns French and moves to Paris. Um, <laughs> and you could follow this character just sort of doing these insane things for no fucking reason. And then just getting bored once the, the chase is kind of gone. So, yeah, there's almost like a, um, because this movie is often referred to as like a psychological sports thriller, um, almost like falling in love with rowing, I think is how you've put it. And thematically, that's definitely there. I can see that. Um, but it always seems like throughout the movie, I, I'm actually kind of averse to when I've heard people talk about Alex as like a sort of villain. Because when people talk about her character as uh, like, um, I guess, uh, Neiman's character in Whiplash, there, I think there is like obvious differences. And there's something about Alex that seems like she's pursuing some kind of internal peace. Uh, and again, I could be projecting on the screen, but I find that she's like almost like searching for like a distraction from sitting with herself when it comes to rowing or academics. And I'm curious, like, do you, I know you said the, kind of, the sequel, which is interesting. Now my mind's going to, that's going to be alive in my head canon. Um, but do you find that uh, the next obsession for Alex is going to be something completely different? than rowing in, in your mind do you think it is just something else uh to conquer as you put it yeah i mean it's almost there's stuff that was cut out of kind of the beginning of the film but even how she stumbles on rowing is sort of this accident and i think it's just like almost having chemistry with a person or an idea or a project or whatever like when you come across something and you feel a certain way like so it's arbitrary so alex could she could see a sign for i don't know i i've also said to isabel i'm like it'd be really great to see um a, a ping pong movie that's as intense as the novice <laughs> because i want to see a fucking epic ping pong um psychological movie the um, editing and that would be intense yeah wow yeah so <laughs> i'm like someone out there you're listening to this make the the ping pong novice um but uh yeah what what was my train of thought here where was i going with this if 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 alex will eventually re replace anything with rowing is it anything is it really just to uh is it does it have nothing to do with rowing and more oh yeah yeah or just kind of need to kind of find like an internal piece because it does seem like she's evolving through the film yeah. because i don't think she's really where she started from the end of the movie to the beginning of the film no she's not and and yeah the rowing is arbitrary it's just the medium to tell the story of obsession and again she had her her chapter one which was the high school academics this is two could go on and on and i think that Alex is kind of evolving as this obsessive character where in high school, um, you know, I, I, is this the idea of a spoiler section or can I just talk freely about the full spoilers, this whole podcast I'm doing. Okay, a, great. A pre um, so. so yeah. So in the end, you kind of find out that she was in high school. She didn't actually go on stage and do all these things that she was 51 would um, this idea that she didn't quit. She was forced to quit. Right. And then, mm -hmm. and then with this, um, this whole, this whole sequence happens, she basically goes to the bitter end. But then she makes this decision to kind of step away. Like she's done good enough. She feels this achievement and she has this moment of bliss. It's that moment of like, I did this thing. And then at the very end, you kind of see her face fall before she looks at camera. And that's just like this, this now what thing of like, now what is going to be next? And for me, 
Um, I know that the periods of transition are the fucking worst. Um, so between, you know, when you, mm-hmm. you know, after shooting the novice, for instance, when I got, when I got back, I started editing immediately. I did not take a single day off because I knew that I would adrenaline crash. Um, and then when I eventually got to the point of had the assembly and had to take a breather, um, I did have this huge kind of crash. And like you said, this idea of her sitting still, like she, I don't think Alex can sit still. Like she needs Mm -hmm. something. She needs a quest. She needs a purpose. She needs a drive because without it, she feels like fucking flighty. And I think, um, I think most people need something. And I think, you know, this is a, um, a rough analogy, but this idea of, of dogs being sort of insane and kind of barky and, and all over the place, they want someone to be in command. They want to trust that someone is telling them where to go, that this taking care of things, all of this, and they're much calmer. Um, and I know personally for me, I thrive or at least don't spiral completely when I have a clear purpose of this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm working right. towards. And then once you get it, then it's like, well, fuck what now? So now I've like learned as I gotten older to like sort of um, kind of like layer my, my quests, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that one doesn't yeah. end. And then there's nothing that there kind of is a little bit of overlap and thinking about it strategically. Um, Cause it's like this, this analogy of a, a shark. I don't know if this is true or not, but the, they say if a shark stops swimming, it just sinks. Um, mm-hmm. And then once I was reading this biography of Teddy Roosevelt and I read this quote that always really stuck with me, which was, uh teddy roosevelt i mean he he was this sort of swashbuckling dude and just wouldn't stop doing all this shit and they described it as um or maybe this is a podcast i was listening to that he was so active and and sort of did so much because he was always um trying to outrun his depression right and so mm-hmm. you know this is dark and deep but this idea of of yeah <laughs> when you stop like everything settles you know it's like you sit in the shower and everything congeals like the worst yeah the literal worst <laughs> uh can totally relate to that and all those i think that all those emotions are clear in this movie you can feel all of that i think it's why so many people it probably spoke to them and it's it's an anxiety inducing thriller but the movie's also weirdly romantic and emotional and i think um you know obviously with the sound design visually with the drones and especially the kind of like unconventional camera work that i loved editing all these technical elements together with these themes. It all feels so seamless. The movie even almost works as a silent film. I don't know if anybody has ever talked to you about that, but I tried to play this movie without much sound for the first like act. And it was to me close to just as good with uh, just everything you all did. Technically it was incredible. Um, I was trying to pinpoint though, why the novice is so immersive and there's tons of impressive scenes and sequences I could focus on, but there are two memorable scenes that I want to get your thoughts on. The first scene is where I think there's like the non-diegetic scenes where music is playing, but the first scene is where Alex starts to lose herself in rowing and the song someday starts playing over the movie. And Alex is having like this really cathartic moment, almost like uh, she's cleansing herself of toxins or something. It's like very, I don't know. It's very interesting. It's almost like a, like a, I've, I, it's almost like a central scene for manic creators a little bit. And people, uh, and that really captured me because I think people who have been in that headspace, like Alex in this film can probably really understand that scene completely. Can you talk a little bit to that scene and, and what was the, uh, you know, purpose, I guess, for having that in the movie like that, at the beginning there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this idea of um, transporting. Cause that's the first scene where I think it's like 18 minutes in or so things get mm-hmm. really weird suddenly. I mean, weird mm-hmm. in the sense that like, this is 
super artsy sports scene. Um, like what movie. the fuck, yeah. right? Uh, you know, 500 frames a second. And and I got the idea to do that sort of sequence with the Phantom from watching um, the Macbeth with Fassbender. And they had this really epic scene mm. of a of a big battle. But instead of shooting the classic, like, you know, it was shot super slow-mo. And I thought there was something yeah. so much more emotional and incredible about that because... I think we're all sort of, you know, there's uh, every, there is the sort of more classic action-y scene towards the climax, but I wanted every rowing scene to feel very different and really think about, well, what is this character feeling in this moment? I don't care about mm -hmm. trying to make rowing look cool and fast, and da -da 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 -da, but I want to <laughs> capture the emotion of her feeling. And this is her sort of dropping into this headspace um, and, and doing a 2K or being obsessed with anything, you know, even if you're not rowing, like if you're, you're writing something or, or directing or immersed or falling in love with a human being, um, there's this level of sort of everything else just fades away uh, and you just feel like high off of it, you know? Um, and so that is this blissful moment. I mean, I, I described it in, in my analogy of describing this as a romance between Alex and the sport. Um, mm -hmm. this is the first time making love. And I said to Isabel, I'm like, I'm going to objectify the fuck out of you in this. Like, this is the sex scene, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I want to shoot this. I want it to feel like a 90s erotic sex scene um, because that's, I mean, that's her headspace. And the someday you want me to want you, uh, yeah, I mean, she's just capturing, she's lost in the moment. Everything else fades away. Um, and I think that's this blissful feeling that, creative people chase you know getting into the flow of things um mm -hmm. and then the sort of crushing reality of the end when you know jamie falls into the frame we cut back to reality um and then she realizes she didn't actually you know win or, or whatever it just feeds it more and I, i've right. also had those moments where you're like i killed that i conquered and then you and then someone yeah. tells you actually you fucked up and you're like oh and then it drives you more it sends you down the spiral at least me i have had that recently and i'm just like you have a moment of spiraling and losing it but then you, you get your resolve and like i said the difference you could be mediocre but you can the analogy that i've framed to for this film and in my life is Alex is the Honda and Jamie is the Ferrari and mm -hmm. a Honda can beat a Ferrari uh, if the Ferrari is just coasting and the Honda is willing to pedal to the metal and blow its fucking engine out. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's capturing Alex's uh, bliss from there. And um, yeah. Yeah. That, that first scene is really kind of like an introduction to, I think, you know, the craziness, the the rest of the chaos of the movie, if you will, the the black swan chaos that you can feel throughout it. Uh, the second scene, though, uh, that is my favorite scene of the movie is a similar scene, um, I guess, with the way that you present the sound. But right after Alex gets the keys to the uh, her obsession or her addiction, essentially the rowboat to practice in the mornings, the film cuts to black. And uh, there's I think that's an Italian song. Is that right? That starts playing. Yeah, it's uh, Aldi Law. It's uh, Connie yes. Francis. Yeah, that's right. That starts playing and the camera opens us up to Alex having her moment on the water, on the sunrise. And there's something so um, beautifully existential about that 30 to 40 second sequence. And I, I literally get lost in it every single time I turn it on. We watch, you know, tons of movies every single. I mean, we watch movies every day. And uh, but that scene specifically always gets me for a year now. And it's so emotionally powerful. 
I the first time I watched it, I literally paused the movie on the first watch because we had to watch it at home. And I turned to my partner and I was like, I don't know who Lauren Hathaway is, but I'll quit my fucking job and work for this person tomorrow because I don't. This person is just like incredible. Like the per, the type of person to make a scene like this just does doesn't give a shit. And <laughs> for someone to kind of do something unconventional like this uh, was super motivating for anybody. Like, and uh, you know, I don't make films, but it was definitely motivating for me in my own space, my own career. And uh, it almost felt like the scene was like representing like her subconscious. So my, my praise aside, what were you hoping to interrogate or explore with that scene? Because it is, I mean, you have Alex break the fourth wall um, and you have Isabel Furman break the fourth wall and she's staring almost into the soul of the audience in a way, but it does feel like we're entering like in her mind somehow. But what were you trying to explore there with that scene? If you want to give us like an inside look on that. Yeah, I mean, that that is so if the, the other scene we just talked about is the first time making love, this is the the mm-hmm. bliss of being in love and right, you're on top of the world and you're like, this is my my truth. It's, it's always going to be like this. It's incredible. I'm high on life. Uh, right. And then things slowly kind of fucking spiral after that. But um, yeah, this scene, I mean, I mean, the kind of genesis of, of the scene, this, the song, All Do Law, um, this was the first kind of song that I heard that really planted the seed of the idea of doing, uh, these, these sort of 1960s love songs. And, um, I heard it on a Spotify, you know, they like recommend songs and I heard that mm-hmm. song. And when I heard it the very first time, it's probably in 2018, um, early 2018, maybe the end of 2017, uh, I heard this song and the scene as you saw it basically immediately came into my head um, and I wanted to capture that feeling of because the, the movie's very dark overall but I wanted to really show one the sort of bliss of what rowing can be like why do you do this what is the point I mean the, the I've, saw, I've seen so many sunrises um, I, more than most people see in a lifetime because of rowing and had a lot of beautiful experiences yeah. And, you know, same with creativity, same with love, all of these things, like really wanted to capture that feeling of, of fucking bliss. Um, and this scene was just meant to be because one, the song came into my head, this scene, as you basically see it was in my head, like that very early on, the slow motion, the pan up, the sort of bliss and the fog on the water and the sunrise and all of these things. Um, and then that was the very first scene that we shot too. Uh, wow. And I... <laughs> we shot it and we the the fog machine like we're supposed to have one and there was a mess up and it wasn't there and i was freaking out but then like the lord gave us fog and i was like holy (laughs) fuck and we shot it and it went it was so beautiful and you know i don't you know i'm not coming into directing having done short films and commercials and music videos like i didn't have that right so my production experience is pretty limited and I'm nervous as fuck doing this right and this scene happened and it was happening just like was in my head I knew exactly what I wanted and me and my DP were like totally in sync on these different things and it's just like oh and I remember at the end that was in the morning I remember being like fuck I'm like meant to be a director I am god <laughs> like this, this is meant to be like this isn't so bad this isn't hard um and then sort of like in the movie as well it was just all downhill from there um and everything quickly spiraled out of control and by that afternoon i was like pulling out my hair thinking oh dear god i'm never gonna finish this movie i'm never gonna work again um fuck my life uh and um yeah so art imitates life i guess but um that was my very early genesis scene seed of an idea first thing we shot the first scene i think that i edited as well because we were doing six days a week 
it's a 24 day shoot and then on our days off i would um edit in the chilies um from when i edited it while we were shooting to what you saw so it was just like always a scene that's been the heart of the film um that i've always had a very clear idea of that just came together uh when everything else was really fucking pulling teeth and nails so yeah well you can feel the grasp you had over the movie in that one scene even if it did get crazy after that day um okay so the last scene i gotta ask you because it isn't clear whether or not alex um breaks the record at the end of the movie but I don't, at least I don't think it's clear. I think I've rewinded it a couple of times and you can't see what she's writing on the, on the board. Yes, she erases it. See, me and Isabel know the answer and the time, but okay. nobody else. Yeah. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you. I'm, I was just going to tell you that as an audience member, someone who loves the film that like, I definitely, for me to fully grasp the character in my canon, she's like conquered this stuff and she's ready to move on. That's why she gives us the kind of almost like a smile at the end of the film, looking into the camera uh, and it is this kind of like tragic yet uh, happy ending um, that I, the way that it lives in my experience. And I'm sure listeners, you know, uh, are probably having different reactions to that. But it was a, it was a great ending because these kind of movies can be very difficult to end. You know, these kind of like uh, almost like self-destructive journeys in a, in a sense. So it was a beautiful ending. Uh, okay. This has been a, a great conversation. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time and I appreciate you coming on and kind of diving deep into this with me, especially those last two scenes, because those are my, those are my favorite quick question for you, because I'm so interested in the kind of movies that someone like you would love. Are there any movies or TV shows, uh, that you think deserve extra credit? Because I'm assuming you like similar genres to whatever the novice falls into, like anxiety-inducing thrillers. It doesn't have to be in that. Uh, but what our podcast tries uh, tries to do is spread awareness of movies and shows that people maybe haven't seen or have seen, just need to revisit. Like we had, I think, Philip Barantini of Boiling Point, which you should definitely check out if you haven't seen it yet, because that's definitely very immersive and has the same anxiety of your film. Uh, he came on and said, everybody needs to go rewatch Uncut Gems. Uh, Helena Rain from Bodies, Bodies, Bodies came in and talked about The Piano Teacher. Zach Kreger from Barbarian recently came on and talked about all of his horror films that he loves, like Audition and St. Maude. But is there any story, movie, show that you think deserves extra credit? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, T10, uh, what won uh, Titan, the English name, which won a uh, can last year? Mm -hmm. um, I saw that theater and it was just the most epic fucking experience. I guess I don't actually know how how big it is outside the world but the french film um it's so fucked mm -hmm. up and twisted and i love that director and she did raw and then did that and i'm like i wanna fuck man it's so good so fucking trippy and it's weird as shit i mean that's the thing is like i want to be drawn in and um be surprised by things mm -hmm. um so i would say see that and I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but yeah, yeah I'm, no I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that that's one. A, that's a great choice. I loved Raw. I haven't seen that film though yet. I need <gasps> to. Um, yeah, you haven't I, seen it? Mm -mm. I know I need to. It was all over the letterbox last year. I know I needed to. I needed to throw it on. I haven't yet though. We're going to definitely soon. Um, there is a movie this year. There are two movies. Actually, there's a few. There are a lot of anxiety inducing thrillers this year that I, I feel are closely have a similar tier of the novice, but one I just saw recently, have you seen Todd Field's Tar? 
yeah i have i fucking loved it yeah yeah it's so fucked up i mean in a good way the scene um i'm not gonna really spoil but there's like a scene with her and the accordion uh Uh that captures me spiraling (laughs) creatively and i saw it with my oldest friend that i've known since i was seven and i was literally thinking in my head i'm like wow that's me and she turned to me and was like that's you Uh, that's really great <laughs> so yeah um yeah that movie made me think of yours uh a lot uh, actually but that movie all my friends hate me is a british a dark comedy that makes me think of your film too and then there's a a uh a belgium film called playground by laura wandell that i you know this podcast isn't so you can get recommendations for me but if you want to see a movie that really reminded someone who loves your film of a movie this year it's called playground I would just immerse yourself in that for 72 minutes. It's it's really fantastic. Um, okay, so last question. Yes. Any, anything at the moment you got going on? Are you sticking with the existential dread genre? What's going on in your I life? I mean, existential right existential dread is life for me. But um, yeah. yeah, I have a lot going on. And the analogy that I like using <laughs> is that being a writer-director feels like having children in the 1800s, right? You have to have a lot <laughs> of good. them because most of them aren't going to make it to adulthood. So yeah, yeah, I have a lot of things going on. Um, a lot of sticks in the fire. There's two that I'm really, really, really uh, at the moment trying to get off the ground. One is hopefully my second film, which we have our two leads and we're sort of out to financiers right now and doing that whole thing. But it may not happen. And that's the thing. And it's actually uh, a comedy, but I want to do they uh, uh not what you would expect necessarily from a comedy um more kind of coen okay. brothers tarantino's feeling vibe um okay, yeah something more absurd okay yeah just just like yeah because i feel like when you think comedy you think of a sort of indie quirky or the studio lots of air in it like i love you know coen brothers did blood simple then they did raising arizona and fucking love mm-hmm. raising arizona right mm-hmm. um so things that just feel very kind of stylized and uh you know it's not just about the actors being funny but really treat the camera and the sound and the whole experience trying to make like a make it feel like a ride um and then i think i mentioned that I've, I've been working on a pitch for something that is sort of i've been chasing and trying to will into existence for like a fucking year uh mm-hmm. and i just had my first pitch with the um the main people earlier so who knows i mean they could call tomorrow and be like yes or they could be like nah, or i could have 17 more um and uh then there's about 17 other things um so i have no idea what's coming next all i know is i'm going insane and i am lydia tar with the yeah. in, in tar right about now um so maybe like a year or two we can check back in and we can see if any of these things panned out because <laughs> this yeah. man living the dream but holy shit it's a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of like you know none of this may ever pan out to anything <laughs> it's just yeah. you go crazy right well we're rooting for you i mean we, we love the novice and we love your work and we can't wait to see what you do next and we'll be supporting we'll be in the theater when whatever is coming out next lauren hadaway on it we'll be on it and uh, the pod will be talking about it. But thank you for coming on and talking about The Novice. It's been a great conversation, and I hope everything works out with scripts and whatnot. Um, something tells me you're going to be okay, and you'll find a way. <laughs> something something tells me that you're going to be all right. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, we'll see. We'll have The Novice too. Lauren tries to make her second movie. Um, <laughs> worst case. So thanks for having me. Ping pong. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Cheers.